Acts chapter 20, uh, starting at verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and, after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He travelled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews had made a plot against him just as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Phyrus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But while we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eucatus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after, talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul on board. He had made his arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived at Kairos. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul set, sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among you whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. 
Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept and, and as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Please leave your Bibles open there at Acts 20. Let's pray before we get into God's Word. Father God, as we approach these verses, uh, we pray that your Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, quieten our hearts so that all of the things that will happen later on today are, are not a distraction to us now, that we might sit in your presence and hear from your Spirit and be reminded of the urgency of the good news of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Around a month ago, Tamara and I found out that a good friend of ours uh, passed away. And it wasn't the usual way that you would hear that someone that you knew quite well had passed away. I'd been trying to reach this friend for, for quite a while. Uh, he, he lived in, in the city, so nowhere nearby. But recently, no matter how many messages I sent him, uh, no matter how many messages I left on the phone, there was just no reply. And so we were left to do the only thing we could, which was to do a Google search on him, try and figure out if we could email him some way or get back into contact. And sadly, we came across his death notice. And to be honest, that left us feeling really quite shell-shocked. We always thought there'd be more time. He was an older gentleman that uh, we'd gotten to know when we were living in Queanbeyan, uh, just before we got married and then, then afterwards. Uh, we lived in the same block of units in, uh, in Queanbeyan, and he was the caretaker of those units, always fixing up something around the place. And both of us liked tinkering in our small little single garages underneath the units, much to the frustration of the other tenants. And over time, we got to know each other really well and uh, we got to do different projects together and no surprise, I even ended up turbocharging one of his cars. 
he lived alone and he was estranged from his wife and his kids. That's part of the reason we weren't told of his passing. And so he really enjoyed our company and we really enjoyed his. And so for the last 20 years or so, we've kept in contact. And uh, he's sometimes come over to visit us and we've gone over to visit him. The last time I visited him in person was a few years ago now. And he was in hospital. His body was riddled with cancer, but he didn't let on at the time. He uh, actually played it down and told me it wasn't all that serious. But as it turns out, it would eventually take his life. And sadly, because his family had never met us, we were never told. The last time I spoke to him, I knew that he had cancer. And because I was starting to realise the seriousness of his situation, there was a sense of urgency that I felt, a much greater urgency than ever before for him to come to know Jesus. And so I shared the good news of Jesus with him far more boldly than I'd ever done in those previous 20 years. Now, don't get me wrong, he knew all along that we went to church. He knew we were churchgoers and he knew we were pretty committed churchgoers. We'd had conversations, I had many conversations with him about leaving my business and going to Bible college and then later on moving here and becoming a pastor. But he was always very evasive when it came to talking about where he was with the Lord. And I guess I always assumed there'd be more time. In the last few years, two other older gentlemen who have become friends of mine have passed away in unrelated incidents, but both of them passed away very suddenly and very unexpectedly, both of whom, I believe, knew the Lord. But on the other hand, my friend who just passed away, well, I just don't know. Did the Holy Spirit use the last conversation I had with him to convict his heart? I'm not going to know the answer to that until I'm with the Lord myself. The thing I'm very thankful for is the sense of urgency that Lord gave me in that last conversation that I had with him. If you're someone who believes that God's judgment against sin and rebellion is real, if you believe that the only way that anyone can be saved is through the faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, if you are someone who wants to share the good news of Jesus with others, then like me, you'll have regrets about things that you wish you had have said or done, times when you wish you had the right words and times when you wish you'd been braver and spoken up. Because the reality is there isn't always another opportunity to share the good news. That's what makes the good news of Jesus, so urgent. If someone's dog had gotten out of their yard, we'd tell the owner, wouldn't we? Because we wouldn't want that dog to get run over by a car or a truck. If there was a fire or a flood or some other sort of emergency in our town, we would want to tell everyone we knew so they could prepare. And so if we truly believe that God's judgment on sin is real. And we also know the only way of salvation 
we should treat that news with that same sense of urgency because we may not get another opportunity. Last week, as we looked at Acts chapter 19, we heard how Demetrius and the silversmiths had become so afraid of the good news of Jesus that they'd stirred up a mob to try and stop Paul from sharing this news. Now that the mob had been dispersed by the city clerk and everything was quiet again in Ephesus, everything had settled down, it was now time finally for Paul and his travelling companions to move on and share the good news of Jesus in other places. By this time, Paul now had six travelling companions, which is wonderful for those reading the Bible verses with those tricky names. But they were travelling around with him to help him share the good news of Jesus. Later in, in chapter 20, in verses 22 and 23, Paul will explain that the Holy Spirit was compelling him now to go to Jerusalem even though he was completely aware that it was a one-way trip. Paul's time for sharing the good news of Jesus from town to town was coming to an end. And so Paul was investing in these godly men. He was preparing and equipping them. He was discipling them so that they could continue the work after he was gone. And after travelling from Macedonia and Greece, Around Greece as well, Paul joined, joined his travelling companions in Troas. Now in Troas, Paul shared with the believers there with an incredible sense of urgency. They shared a meal together and then Paul began to preach this incredible sermon. He took every opportunity that he had knowing that this was his final opportunity to share the good news with these believers in Troas. And Paul preached right through the night. In fact, verse 9 says that Paul went on and on. Paul felt this deep sense of urgency to share as much as he could of God's word, anything that might be helpful or encouraging to them, while he was still able to. And these believers seem to be, have been so eager to hear this message, even though it went on for so long, they were hanging on his every word. In fact, one young man, well, he was listening so intently while he was sitting in the, in the window of the upstairs room that he just began to get more and more tired, struggling to keep his eyes open, but he kept on listening. In fact, he, he kept on listening until his body could take it no more. He fell out the third-story window, hit the ground, and died. When Paul saw what had happened, he, he stopped his sermon just momentarily. He went downstairs and uh, he threw himself on the man, something that had been done by Elijah in the past and he was no doubt praying that this young man would be raised from the grave. And miraculously, this young man did come back to life again. But Paul's sense of urgency to share the good news of Jesus was so great that even after seeing what had happened to this young man, 
Paul still didn't end his sermon. Instead, they took a, a short meal break, had some dinner, and then Paul continued on preaching until daybreak. And what's interesting about this, this is the only time in all of the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul preaches right through the night. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't imagine Paul's sermons were very short. I imagine that he went on for quite a while, but because in this instance he knew how urgent the message was. He knew this was his very last opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with these people in Troas. He felt this deep sense of urgency to share anything and everything that might be helpful to these believers. In the morning, they left Troas, Paul and his companions, and also Luke. Luke includes himself there in verse 13 by using the word we. And they made their way to Miletus. From there, Paul sent for the elders in Ephesus. Knowing that he was on a one-way trip to Jerusalem, Paul was taking every opportunity to encourage these leaders of the church at Ephesus. Now, an elder, a pastor, and an overseer are all different words for the same role. In fact, you can see in this verse, elder and overseer are used synonymously. And the primary role of elders and pastors is to shepherd the flock under their care. They are to teach God's word as it has been handed down to them in the scriptures and guard the flock against false teachers and against false teaching. And so to help these elders faithfully pastor the flock at Ephesus, Paul uses his own life and puts his own ministry up as an example. Paul says that no matter what hardships may come his way, no matter how he was treated, he didn't shrink back from sharing the good news. He served with humility and often in tears and didn't hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful, even if it was unpopular. And knowing that this would be the last time that he would see these brothers in Christ, Paul encouraged them to follow his example of boldly sharing the good news of Jesus so that they might one day be able to say, along with the Apostle Paul, that they are innocent of the blood of all men because they've not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. Isn't that what we all want? We'd all love to, at the end of the days, when we're in front of Christ, be able to know that we are innocent of the blood of all men. Paul says in verse 28, Keep watch over yourselves and, over, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. To lead well, we must first guard our own hearts. Leading first starts in here with us, in our own hearts. Whether we're a kids' church leader, a Bible study leader, a deacon, an elder, or a parent, or a grandparent, 
if our hearts aren't fixed on following Jesus and we aren't modelling godliness in our own lives, we can't expect to teach and encourage others to be able to do what we haven't been able to do ourselves. And the second instruction that Paul gives to these elders is to guard the flock under their care because false teachers, or as Paul calls them, savage wolves will come. Like a wolf, these false teachers will prey on the most vulnerable in the congregation and they will use their emotional and spiritual weaknesses to divide them from the flock and then devour them with their smooth talking and their lies. And so Paul warns these elders to be on guard because these savage wolves will come. And as Paul takes this final opportunity to encourage these leaders in the church at Ephesus, commits them to the Lord in verse 32, then he does something remarkable. He quotes from the words of Jesus. He says, it is more blessed to give than receive. Paul is reminding them to serve the Lord like Jesus. He's encouraging them to do that by following Christ's example and his. By not being jealous of what others have. By not seeking his own comfort in this life and respect and security. But rather by reminding ourselves daily that we have a far greater prize stored away for us in heaven. It's encouraging us to care for the weak and the vulnerable in order that we could put Christ's love on display and to show care for those who bear his image and to work hard to gain whatever opportunities we can to share the good news of Jesus. When Paul had finished, these believers, they, they they all prayed together. They embraced Paul. They probably surrounded him, gave him a big group hug. They wept together because they knew that this would be the last time that they would see their dear friend and brother in Christ. And Paul knew that this was the last time that he would see these brothers in Christ. But even in this time of sadness, there was still hope because these believers knew that they would one day see Paul again in eternity because Paul had not neglected to share the good news. Paul was able to confidently following the leading of the Holy Spirit to keep heading towards Jerusalem, even though he knew it was a one-way trip because he knew he had taken every opportunity that the Lord had given him to share the good news of Jesus. He had already run the race and fulfilled the task that Jesus had set before him. And now he was ready to go through whatever God had for him in Jerusalem. And if we're going to do the same, if we're going to run the race to the end and complete the task that Jesus has set before us, regardless of whether we're a church leader or not, 
we're all called to boldly share the good news of Jesus. Now, that idea of boldly sharing the good news sounds a bit intimidating. Sounds like we have to do it in a specific way. But really what it means is that we just step out of our comfort zone. It's about taking the opportunities that God gives us with friends and family and community members. Not just relying on our own godliness in the hope that somebody might see how we live differently. None of us know how many more opportunities the Lord's going to give us to speak into the lives of our friends and loved ones. One day, and none of us know when, it will be too late. As Paul shared the good news of Jesus with the people at Troas and spoke right through the night, passionately sharing the passionately sharing the hope that he has in Jesus and encouraging them in their walk with the Lord, he shared with such a deep sense of urgency because he knew it was his last opportunity. He was driven by the fact that there wasn't going to be another chance. And in some ways, I think it would be easier for us too if we knew that the next time we spoke to our friends or loved ones, it was going to be the last opportunity because there's nothing like knowing that it's urgent, like feeling that sense of urgency to actually cause us to speak boldly, to realise the urgency of the need. And yet, we do know that the good news of Jesus is urgent. We do know that the next time we speak to those around us, it could be the last opportunity we get. But for some reason, we always tend to assume that there'll be another opportunity. Reflecting on these verses, I've been convicted myself about somebody else that I need to be more bold with. I hope there's somebody in your lives that you're thinking about, somebody that you might be able to speak those words rather than dancing around the good news. Let's not make that mistake. Let's take every opportunity to share the hope we have in Christ. Let's be brave. Let's step out of our comfort zone. Let's speak the hope we have in Christ Jesus regardless of how it's received. Because we know that God's judgment on sin is real. And we know that it will take place one day. We also know that there's only one way to be saved from that judgment. And that's through putting our faith in the completed work of Christ. And if that's what we truly believe, then maybe with a deep sense of urgency, speak to those around us who don't know this good news so that they don't have to one day face this judgment of God and instead be saved from the consequences of their sins, be reconciled to God through his Son because there just may not be another opportunity. Let's pray. Father God, we don't always have the words to speak. 
when we come alongside people. None of us like awkward situations. Some of us really struggle to have the words. But we know that in your strength, Lord, we are strong, even though in ours we are weak. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us the words to speak. Encourage us to boldly share the hope we have in you. Help us not to shy away and to put it off for another day. Help us to feel a deep sense of urgency for the lost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.